And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men have come to call you, rise, go with them, but only do what I tell you. So Balaam rose in the morning and saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. But God's anger was kindled because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of, as his adversary. Now he was riding on the donkey, and his two servants were with him. And the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand. And the donkey turned aside of the road and went into, a f- into the field. And Balaam struck the donkey to turn her into the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on either side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed against the wall and pressed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or to the left. When the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam, and Balaam's anger was kindled, and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and she said to Balaam, What have I done to you, that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have made a fool of me, and I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey? on which you have ridden all your life long to this day? Is it my habit to treat you this way? And he said, no. Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed down and fell on his face. And the angel of the Lord said to him, why have you, come, why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside before me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Then Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know that you stood in the road against me. Now, therefore, if it is evil in your sight, I will turn back. And then and the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but speak only the word that I tell you. So Balaam went on with the princes of Balak. The word of the Lord. Thank you. That was a wonderful job they did. We're so grateful for you all. Um, Have you ever had an opportunity for something amazing, but you missed out on it at the time because you didn't realize what it was, but then later you realize what it was you missed and you're so disappointed? It's kind of like, you know, when famous musicians go down in the subway and play, but nobody recognizes them. You too did that a few years ago with Jimmy Fallon. They disguised themselves and went down into the New York City subway and started playing music. And people are just walking by. They don't realize who this is. Can you imagine if that was you? You're walking along and you see these guys playing and you're like, yeah, whatever. 
and you just get on your train and leave. But then a little later, somebody says, hey, did you hear that U2 was playing down on the subway? And you realize that what you thought was a bunch of ordinary street musicians was really one of the greatest rock bands of all time. And you missed it because you didn't recognize the greatness of what was standing right in front of you. That would be so disappointing, wouldn't it? And depending on the greatness of what was standing in front of you, it may not just be disappointing, it could actually be devastating. Because what if instead of missing out on something cool, like a famous rock band, what if it was the difference between life and death, like the cure for a fatal disease? So that, that, and, and just to continue the thought experiment a little bit further, what if the reason you missed out on it was not just because you didn't recognize it, but because you willfully rejected it because it didn't look like what you expected it to look like. This passage that we just read is showing us that we all do that at some level with God. On the surface, this is a very funny story. Um, This talking donkey is making a fool out of a barmy prophet named Balaam. Ha, 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 ha. And yet, if we dig deeper, this passage is actually showing us something deathly serious about the spiritual blindness that that keeps us from from seeing God, but also something breathtakingly wonderful about what God does about it. What is that? Let's have our eyes opened this morning by seeing three things in this passage. We're going to see Balaam's problem, Balaam's journey, and Balaam's reckoning, okay? Balaam's problem, his journey, and he's and his reckoning, okay? First, let's take a look at Balaam's problem. There is a question in this story that has confused people for many years, and you see it right at the beginning. Uh, God tells Balaam to go with these men. Balaam goes, but then it says, but God's anger was kindled because he went. So what's going on with this? Well, let's remember the backstory here. God rescued Israel out of slavery in Egypt. And here in the book of Numbers, he's leading them through the wilderness to the promised land. And it's all part of God's mission to bring healing and renewal and blessing to a world that's falling apart. But Balak, the king of Moab, is afraid of Israel. So he sends some men to to this famous prophet named Balaam to get Balaam to curse Israel for him. And so when the men show up, Balaam tells the men, well, let me see what God has to say about this. And what God says is this. God says, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people. Now, let me ask you, is there anything unclear about this message? Not so much. So Balaam sends the men home, but Balak doesn't give up so easy. He sends more men back to Balaam, and he says this, Balaam says, let nothing, I mean, Balak says to Balaam, let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will surely do you great honor. This word honor is literally the Hebrew word glory. It's a word that literally means heaviness. Balak is saying, Balaam, I will make you heavy with riches, heavy with fame, heavy with prestige. Balaam, if you do what I say, I'll make you bigger than Beyonce. And on the surface, What Balaam does next looks very honorable. Look at what Balaam says. He says, Though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the command of the Lord. Sounds very pious. But then look at what he says next. So stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Now, from Balaam's own lips, he's just told us, I can't go beyond what God says. 
And God just said, don't go with these men. But here's Balaam. And as soon as these guys come to him, offering him riches and glory, all of a sudden Balaam is saying, well, let me see what else God has to say to me. Are you starting to see the problem here? On the surface, Balaam appears very spiritual. In fact, there's archaeological evidence that shows us that this guy actually existed and that he was famous as a prophet of God. Balaam would have very sincerely said, I really uh, want to hear and obey what God has to say. And what God just said is, don't go with these men. But as soon as these guys show up offering Balaam riches and glory and fame and honor and prestige, all of a sudden the next thing he's saying is, well, what, does, what else does God have to say? Friends, here's what this means for you and for me. The big question here is, whose voice, whose word has final say in our life? And be careful how you answer. Remember, Balaam would very sincerely say, I'm trying to follow what God has to say. Whose voice, whose word has final say in your life? Balaam says, I'm following what God has to say, but we just saw Balaam also wants a say in what God has to say. And the same thing is true for you and me we want to say in what God has to say. In fact, in our modern culture, one of the main things that modern Western society is built on is this idea of individual free choice, right? In fact, that's a big part of Christianity's legacy in our modern world. It's this idea of of individual dignity, individual free choice. That means that every individual has the the choice, the ability to say, of who to vote for, to have a say in where you live, to have a say in uh, where you work, where you go to school, who you marry, what you buy, what you do with your body, with your money, with your time, with everything in your life. We have a say in everything, but in our culture, everything gets reduced down to our individual free choice, including God and spirituality. So, for instance, there's a philosopher and best-selling author named Alain de Baton. He is an atheist, and, um, but he's also pretty interesting because he's someone who says that religion actually has a lot to offer us and benefit us, even though he doesn't believe in God. But he very famously said in one of his books, the most boring and unproductive question one can ask of any religion is whether or not it's true. Instead, he says, the most important question is, how can religion make us happier? How can religion help us live more productive lives? In other words, he's saying the most important thing about a spiritual path is not whether it's true, but whether it works for you. And that is the way we approach pretty much everything in our modern culture. It doesn't matter whether a spiritual path is true. Does it work for you? Now listen, if there is no God then you really do have the final say in what works for you. There is no ultimate spiritual reality out there to have any kind of a say in your life. You have the final say in your life. But if there is a God, do you see the problem? Friends, throughout history, human beings have always been seeking things like transcendence, rootedness, a connection to something bigger than ourselves, uh, something bigger in the universe that has a bigger say in the universe. We've always been seeking things like that. And yet, if we pick and choose, for instance, um, what parts of the Bible we believe and what parts of the Bible we don't believe, then what we're doing is something we could call Balaam's spirituality. What's Balaam's spirituality? That's when you look at the Bible and you say, well, God says this, but I don't like this, so I'm going to do an end run around it. 
If that's our approach to God, if that's Balaam's spirituality, if that's our approach to God, in other words, if that's the way we're seeking something bigger in our lives, something bigger than ourselves, that approach guarantees we will never find anything bigger than ourselves. In other words, if we want to say what God has to say, we'll never hear what God has to say because we're not interested in what God has to say. We just want God to co-sign what we already say. That is a God who literally works for you. He's not the Lord of your life. He's an accessory. He's a consumer option. Let me ask you a question. How is a God like that ever supposed to help you? Supposed to challenge you? Um, How is a God like that ever supposed to transform you? The answer is he can't. You won't let him. (laughs) That is a God who, who we want to have a say in what God has to say. Balaam's approach to God is that he won't let God be God. And Balaam's problem is that he's got this approach to God, and we've got the same approach. We won't let God have a say in what we want to have a say in. And if that's our approach, and that is our approach in modern culture, on steroids, including Christians, including religious people, for us, faith is all about what works for me. How does God deal with that? What does he do about that? Well, that leads to our next point. We've just seen Balaam's problem, but secondly, we need to take a look at Balaam's journey. Um, This story is actually full of irony, and one of the big ironies is that here's Balaam. He's this famous prophet of God, and yet Balaam is spiritually blind and deaf to God. Famous prophet of God can't see God, can't hear God. So what does God do about that? Well, this journey on the donkey shows us what God does about it. As soon as Balaam hits the road, um, notice what it says. God's anger was kindled, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as his adversary. So here's God's divine messenger um, standing right in the path of Balaam, blocking his way, and yet this prophet of God is so spiritually blind that he can't see the angel that's standing right there. Instead, notice what it says, the donkey saw the angel of the Lord with a drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the road and went into the field. Now, here's, do you see what's going on? This famous prophet of God can't see the angel, but the donkey sees the angel. Do you see the irony here? And by the way, this doesn't just happen once. Three times the donkey sees the angel, and three times the donkey turns aside. And every time it happens, Balaam gets so angry, he beats the donkey with a stick. Friends, this passage is is showing us something incredible because here's the really amazing thing that happens next. It says that the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? The, the, The donkey opens its mouth as God's messenger and starts speaking to Balaam. Now, this is maybe one of the biggest ironies of all. What's a prophet's job description? To speak God's word. In in this passage, the real prophet here isn't Balaam, it's this donkey speaking God's word. What's a donkey? Throughout history, the donkey is recognized as, as being not just the most stubborn of all animals, it's also recognized as being one of the stupidest. The donkey is a universal symbol. There's nothing more lowly, more despised, more degraded. It's one of the most lowly despised, degraded animals in the whole animal kingdom. And yet, here's this donkey, and that's who God chooses to speak his word. Not a beautiful, noble animal like a lion or an eagle or a stallion, 
but a stupid, lowly ass. It's a universal symbol for stupidity and degradation, so much so that if somebody tries to humiliate you, what do you say? We say, you're trying to make an ass out of me. That's essentially what Balaam is saying to his donkey. When the donkey says, why did you beat me these three times? Balaam says, because you have made a fool of me. I wish I had a sword in my hand, for then I would kill you. Now, friends, on the one hand, this is hilariously funny. This is, we're supposed to see this as funny. We're getting a good laugh at Balaam's expense here, but that also is a big part of the deeper message here, one that we desperately need to see. What is that message? You remember when Balak sends his men to Balaam, offering him glory? Balak is saying, I'll make you heavy with riches, heavy with honor, heavy with prestige and fame. And Balaam falls for it. Why? Because on the inside, Balaam is empty. He's empty of glory. Let me ask you a question. Do you ever feel a little bit empty? Maybe a lot empty sometimes? And and when we feel empty, what do we do? We try to fill that emptiness with accomplishments or success or um, politics or a social cause or increasing our platform on social media or Netflix or weed or video games or porn or whatever it might be. We're empty of glory. And yet here's Balaam and everything he needs is standing right in front of him. All of the glory, transcendence, rootedness, meaning, purpose, all of the connection with God, it's standing right there in front of him. It's everything he needs. And yet, um, it's also radically threatening because whenever God comes into our life, he calls us to give up the final say in our life and give God the final say in our life. That's scary. That frightens us. And so how do we respond Well, look at Balaam. What does he do? Here's God. God is calling Balaam, and yet Balaam misses it. He misses God. Why? Because it's coming from an ass. It's coming from a stupid, lowly, despised animal. This so-called prophet of God rejects God because he can't see God's messenger standing right in front of him. It doesn't look like what he expects it to look like. And to him, there's nothing more contemptible, more lowly, more despised, more mockable than this stupid donkey standing right in front of him. It's like Balaam is saying, come on, are you kidding me? A talking donkey? Are you trying to make an ass out of me? There's nothing Balaam needs more, but there's also nothing that threatens him more. And friends, anytime something threatens us, one of the easiest ways to get rid of it is how? To laugh at it. So, for instance, any Harry Potter nerds here? Um, if you're not, <clears throat> excuse me, familiar with the story, uh, Harry Potter is all about these British kids who go to Hogwarts School of Witchcraft and Wizardry. It's a place where they learn how to do magic. And one day, uh, one of Harry's teachers uh, leads the children in a lesson in how to repel boggarts. You remember what a boggart is? A boggart is a shapeshifter that takes the form of whatever frightens you most. And the only way to get rid of it is to force it to assume the shape of something that you find funny. And the the magic spell that goes along with it is ridiculous, ridiculous. So if the boggart assumes the shape of, for instance, a giant spider, oh no, then what you do is you point your wand at it, say ridiculous, and its legs fall off and it starts rolling around the floor in humiliation. Ha, 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 no more boggart. 
The lesson of the boggart is that if you can laugh at something that you find threatening, then you can disarm it. If you can mock something, you can neutralize it. Friends, there's only one being that can come into the emptiness of our lives and and fill us with everything that we long for. It's God. And yet, we are so insistent on having the final say in our life that we won't let God have the final say in our life. There's nothing that we need more than God, and yet nothing that threatens us more than God. And so, as a result, what we will often do is we will mock it. We will try to disarm it by laughing at it. So, throughout history, there is nothing that has been more mockable in the history of our world than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Throughout history, and never more so than in our modern culture, it is so easy to disarm Christianity by mocking it. Ridiculous. And yet this passage is showing us that, that, that God's glory, his transcendence, his presence comes through this donkey. In other words, it, God's healing and blessing and renewal comes into this world through the most lowly, the most despised, the most degraded of all things. That's how God's power, love, healing, and renewal is coming into the world. And the big challenge, the big question for us is, are we going to be humble enough to allow ourselves to see it and receive it? You know, Balaam is too serious about himself to allow himself to be in on the joke about himself. He's too, um, too full of himself to see that he's really empty. And friends, we're the same way in our lives and in our culture. We need to be able to see that we're empty and that we actually need God to step into our lives, fill our emptiness. There's nothing we need more, but nothing that threatens us more. How does God break through that? Well, that leads to the last thing we see this morning. We've looked at Balaam's problem. Uh, The next thing we've seen is Balaam's journey. But lastly, we need to take a look at Balaam's reckoning. You know, as a prophet, Balaam should have been able to, um, to see this donkey's strange behavior and realize that this is a sign of God's work in his life. But because he's spiritually blind, spiritually deaf, he doesn't see what's going on with the donkey. He's spiritually blind. How does God break through that? What's, how does God actually work in his life? Well, that's one of the, the biggest ironies and one of the biggest things that happens. Not only does God open the donkey's mouth, even that is not enough. Look what happens next. It says, Then the Lord opened the eyes of Balaam, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. Friends, this is an incredible picture of the gospel. Not only does God's healing glory and presence come into the world through something lowly and despised, the only way we'll see it is if God opens our eyes to it. Why? It's because um, our insistence to have the final say in our life, instead of giving God the final say in our life, that's what the Bible calls sin. And, and because of that, we're spiritually blind. We're spiritually deaf. In fact, we're spiritually dead. That's exactly what the apostle, the apostle Paul says, by the way, in Ephesians chapter 2, that we're dead in sin. Now, in our culture, that idea, there's nothing more contemptible than that. You know, this idea of sin, like, pff, how regressive. To our modern sensibilities, this idea that we're spiritually dead, I mean, that's, there's nothing more contemptible and mockable than that. We, we see, that's ridiculous. And yet, you know, um, We have this idea to our modern sensibilities that human beings are basically good people who just need a little help. 
So there's a whole slew of modern scientists that are known as the new optimists. Have you ever heard of them? Steven Pinker is the most famous example of those. They, they all say, look, the world is getting better. Human beings are getting better. Let me ask you a question. Do you feel like the world is getting better? I ask people all the time, do you have more or less hope for the world today? And by far the most common answer I get is less hope. I was just talking to someone this past week across the street at our shared office space um, for the church. And I was talking to this person. And, uh, we were talking about the tragic school shooting that happened this past week. She's a mom. She's scared for her kids. She told me, you know, I'm not really a religious person. And I asked her, I'm curious, do you have more or less hope for the world today? And she said, way less hope. She was fighting to hold back tears. Friends, to our modern sensibilities, the idea of sin, there's nothing more ridiculous than that. To our modern sensibilities, we're just basically good people who need a little help. And yet, we're not basically good people who need a little help. We're spiritually dead people who need a radical intervention. This passage gives us a picture of that intervention. Because when the Lord opens Balaam's eyes, what does he see? He sees the angel of the Lord with a drawn sword in his hand, and the angel says this to him, Behold, I have come out to oppose you because your way is perverse before me. If your donkey had not turned aside from me, surely just now I would have killed you and let her live. Do you realize what this is showing us? Friends, this is a foreshadowing of God's ultimate intervention in this world. It's just a hint, but it's a big hint. Think about it. Balaam wanted to kill his donkey. In other words, Balaam wanted to kill this lowly, despised messenger of God with his sword. And yet, here's the angel saying, Balaam, that lowly, despised donkey is the only thing standing between you and my sword. It's the only thing standing between you and the sword of God's judgment on all your blindness, your folly, your rebellion. Do you realize what this means? A lowly despised donkey turned aside the, the judgment of God on Balaam. But on the cross, Jesus Christ, the lowly despised Jesus Christ, turned aside the judgment of God on us. Jesus, lowly and despised, came into the world to bring God's news, but we mocked him, we rejected him, we degraded him. On the cross, Jesus Christ turned aside the judgment of God on us. And in our culture, there's nothing more contemptible, nothing more mockable, nothing more laughable than the cross of Jesus Christ. You know when the first painting of the crucifixion was? Contrary to um, what we might think, it was not some beautiful Renaissance painting of the crucifixion. The very first depiction of the crucifixion was actually a piece of graffiti that was scratched into a wall in ancient Rome about the 2nd or 3rd century AD. Here's a picture of it. It's a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross with somebody worshiping him. And the words here say, Alex Hominos worships his God. Now, just to make sure you understand what's going on here, this is ridiculing Jesus. This is ridiculing Christianity. I don't know if you can see, but on the cross here, on the, on the body, it's not a human head, it's a donkey's head. The, it's the graffiti artist's way of saying anybody who ends up crucified is an ass, not an object of worship, and certainly not God's ultimate intervention in the world. Why would that graffiti artist say that? It's because whenever we see evil, violence, 
Whenever we see a place of torture, abuse, humiliation, and degradation, that is a godless, irreligious place. That shooting that happened this past week at Central VPA, that is a godless, irreligious event. We don't look at that and say, oh, that's where God is at work in the world. For instance, some of you may be familiar with ta Coates. He's uh, one of the great writers of our generation, um, especially in areas of racial justice and the African-American experience. I commend his books to you. But in one of his books, he says this. He says, I would like to believe in God. I simply can't. The reasons are physical. When I was 12, six boys threw me to the ground and stomped on my head. But what struck me most that afternoon was not those boys, but the godless, heathen adults walking by. Down, on, down there on the ground, my head literally being kicked in, I understood no one, not my father, not the cops, and certainly not anyone's God was coming to save me. ta Coates is saying that any place where you see violence, evil, torture, humiliation, degradation, and abuse, that is a godless, irreligious place. Now, I don't think he would probably put it this way, but that is actually a profound theological statement. In fact, there's a great preacher and theologian named Fleming Rutledge. She wrote a massive and very important book a few years ago on the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Here's what she says at the very beginning of the book. She says, today's Christians are lulled into thinking of their own faith as one of the religions without realizing that the central claim of Christianity is oddly irreligious at its core. What does she mean by that? She goes on to say, the religious imagination seeks uplift. So for instance, let me ask you, when you think about doing something, quote, spiritual, what do you think about? Ooh, I'm going to light some candles. I'm going to think about, maybe I'm going to do some prayer and meditation. Spirituality is all about peace. It's about serenity. It's about connecting with God, connecting with something bigger than myself. Ah, uplift. But Fleming Rutledge says the religious imagination seeks uplift, not torture, humiliation, and death. And she goes on to say this, the cross is irreligious because no human beings would have projected their hopes, wishes, and longings and needs onto a crucified man. Friends, there is nothing and no one more lowly and despised than Jesus Christ. There is nothing and no one more mocked and degraded than Jesus Christ. And yet Jesus Christ came into this world to bring good news, healing, renewal, and blessing to this world, and we killed him. We killed him. The, the God of the universe died a godless death on an irreligious cross so that he could take the judgment of God, the sword of God's judgment, in his own body so that he could turn aside God's judgment from you and from me and so that he could bring healing, renewal, and blessing into our lives and into the world. Friends, Here's the big question for all of us this morning. Whether you're just exploring faith or whether you've been following Jesus for decades, the big question for all of us is this. Are you willing to let God have the final say in your life? Or are there places in your life where you want to have a say in what God has to say? Are you willing to give God the final say in your life? Whenever God's word comes into our life, friends, there's nothing we need more but there's also nothing that threatens us more because so often when God's word comes to us, it doesn't look like what we expect. It certainly doesn't look like what we want or what we would choose for ourselves. We want spiritual uplift, but without the cross. 
Friends, do not disarm the cross of Jesus Christ. Do not try to neutralize Jesus. The cross of Jesus Christ is the ultimate say in the world and has ultimate say in our life. There's nothing we need more in our life and yet nothing that threatens us more than the cross of Jesus Christ. And so I encourage you this morning, let God open your eyes, not just to the horror of the cross, the godless horror of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, but also to the um, unsearchable riches and the breathtaking beauty and wonder of the cross of Jesus Christ. Let Jesus and his cross have the final say in your life. Let's pray. Father, we praise you this morning because you have come into this world not in a way that we would expect, not in a way that we would ever engineer or imagine for ourselves. You did not come to to cater to what we want to say. You came to bring your eternal word into this world through Jesus Christ. And we pray this morning that you would open our eyes more and more to see Jesus, who is lowly and despised in the eyes of this world, and yet on the cross, lifted up in glory for all to see, raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and one day will come again to bring healing, renewal, and blessing to this world. Lord, we pray this morning, wherever we're at, open our eyes more and more to Jesus. Open our hearts more and more to your word in our life. Give us grace and hope and renewal that we would be able to go out into this world as vessels of your word, Lord, of your healing, of your renewal and your redemption. God, especially in our society right now, please make us vessels of Jesus to the world. Even if the world mocks us, laughs at us, and degrades us, Lord, make us vessels of your word, your gospel, and your love in this world. For we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.